שבת שלום המזרטב. Years ago, the uh, Jewish comedian and writer and then movie director Mel Brooks was giving a lecture at UCLA's film school about the art of making movies, something which he knew a great deal about. Some of the students asked him about the writing process, others asked him about casting, others about technical aspects, but then one of the students asked him what perhaps was the most important question. She said, Mr. Brooks, how exactly do you get a movie made? And Brooks told her, well, first you have a notion. And then you think that you can get money to maybe make it into a concept. And then maybe later I'll turn it into an idea. Which reminds me of that line by George Carlin. The real reason, he said, as to why him and his wife had children is the same reason why Napoleon invaded Russia. He said it seemed like a good idea at the time. So ideas are powerful things. So much so that Sam Harris once noted that bad ideas are more dangerous than bad people. Because bad ideas get lots of good people to do bad things. Ideas are powerful things. Because nearly everything that you see and buy and do and say have all come from ideas, whether or not you happen to know who or where it came from. We have police because of a 15th century English philosopher named Thomas Hobbes. Yale University's coat of arms is in Hebrew because their most esteemed graduate, Thomas Jefferson, wanted Hebrew to be the national language of the United States. The day of the week, Wednesday, is actually spelt as Wednesday because in the Talmud, Wednesday, the fourth day of the week, was considered to be the day that people should get married. The word deadline came from the American Civil War when they were capturing Confederate soldiers so quickly that they didn't have time to build prison camps. So they drew a line around the camp and they told the Confederate soldiers Anyone who crosses that line will be shot dead. Hence a deadline. But ideas are also like people. They change. So today, deadlines only feel like life and death. Good ideas can become bad ones, and with some time and patience, sometimes what seems to be a bad idea ends up being a good one. Like slaves being freed, or using anesthesia before surgery. The lesson we take from this is not to take things for granted because nothing ever just happens. It happens because someone thought of it. Or lots of people thought of lots of things and went about arguing them over a lot of time as to what is the best thing to do. And I was reminded of this a few months ago when I was in Israel and decided to take an hour out of my morning and walk over to one of the least known, perhaps one of, but one of the most important places in all of Tel Aviv, a place called Trumpeldor Cemetery. It's a five-minute walk off the beach, but for most it's off the beaten path because, after all, who wants to go to a cemetery on their vacation? But it's worth the time because what were the ideas that made Israel a reality? I mean, the country didn't just happen. 
Ben-Gurion didn't just wake up one day and he didn't read a proclamation. Ben-Gurion himself was a product of a war of ideas, just like we all are. And there in that little cemetery, we find the ideas that created the state that we know it today. The cemetery itself was the first cemetery in Tel Aviv. It actually predates Tel Aviv because the Jews who had settled in the city of Yaffa and Jaffa had been prohibited from burying their dead inside the city walls. And they needed a cemetery outside, which became Trumpledor Cemetery. And when you walk into it, you are flooded with an immense history of a place that would eventually become the state of Israel. To the left and the right, we see a community of people born decades before the state would even come into existence. They were Polish, Russian, and German Jews who came to that strange land looking not only for safety, but many of them also searching for a dream. Who's here been to Tel Aviv? Raise your hand. Excellent. You've been for a walk on Dizengoff Street? Okay. That's named after the first mayor of the city. And he's buried in Trupledor Cemetery on the westernmost wall. Is there a graduate here of Bialik Day School? Okay. That school is named after the poet, Hebrew linguist, journalist, and Zionist writer Chaim Nachman Bialik. He's buried at Trumpeldor Cemetery on the southern western wall. Chaim Lazarov, the early Zionist leader for whom Rehov Lazarov, Lazarov Street is named after in Tel Aviv, he's buried there too. So is the second prime minister of the state of Israel, Moshe Sharet. Max Nordau, Theodor Herzl's right-hand man at the first Zionist Congress, he's buried there. So is Arik Einstein, the Bob Dylan of Israeli music. And so is Micha Berdachevsky and Asha Ginsberg, who's better known by his pen name as Achadaam. They too are buried there. And these are two people who will bring to life the ideas that create the Israel that we know it today. Both of these men were born in Russia in the late 1800s. Both suffered terribly from Russian anti-Semitism and oppression. Both believed that European Jewry was collapsing under powerful and dangerous forces that they felt but they couldn't completely explain. And both of them understood that a homeland for Jews was an answer to a number of Jewish problems. But it is one thing to dream of something, it is entirely another of what exactly that dream will become. The battles that raged we all knew. Would Israel be socialist or capitalist? Would its national language be Yiddish or Hebrew? Some argued that it should be English to get the British on their side. And others said it should be French to get the support of the French. What would its borders be? Where should the population be directed? Into cities or into kibbutzim? And would this state be a state of Jews? Or a Jewish state? And then what kind of Jewish would it be? And this is where we find Berdachevsky and Ginsburg. Berdachevsky grew up in a family of rabbis in Russia, but came to believe that we needed a Jewish society founded on Jewish culture from before Europe, from before the rabbis, from early biblical times, where Jews had been strong and dashing and brazen and unbridled. He called for the formation of a secular Jewish culture. But let's be clear here. 
We're not talking about illiterate Jews. Not a culture devoid of Jewish life. But a Jewish life deeply rooted in Hebrew language, with a deep knowledge of Jewish scriptures. Kibbutznikim, old ones to this very day, can quote freely from the book of Psalms and the, and the Tanakh. And Berdachevsky shaped much of that early secular kibbutz culture, which in turn shaped most of the early Israeli culture. Intensely Jewish, but little Judaism. Not Jews of the rabbis, but Hebrews of the Bible. And as for Ginsburg, he grew up in an Orthodox Hasidic family in Russia. If Berdachevsky saw the Zionist dream as remaking European Jews into a different people, then Ginsburg saw the Zionist dream as preserving what makes Jews Jews. Ginsburg believed that Judaism has always undergone change. And Ginsburg believed that returning to a homeland would see Jews not abandoning Judaism, but forming a different kind of Judaism. Not the Judaism of Poland or Russia or Germany, but something else. Something that wasn't the product of being a barely tolerated minority, but the flowering of something that was free and proud. In other words, Zionism wouldn't uproot or destroy Judaism. But Zionism would change Judaism and Jews. And our question for this morning is what kind of Israel do we have now? Is it the secular Israel of Berdachevsky's dreams or the faithful Israel of Asher Ginsburg? And maybe just as importantly, for those of us who live outside of Israel, what kind of future can we have too? The answers will come. But first we'll pause from prayer and music. Everyone kindly rise on page 368. The question that I left you with was what kind of Israel is today? Is it Berdachevsky's secular Israel or Ginsburg's faithful Israel? You know, the joke used to be that Israel was led by wasps, white Ashkenazic socialist paratroopers. But I think that 52 years ago tonight, I think that all changed. 52 years ago tonight in the 28th day of ER, at the end of the Six-Day War, under the command of General Motagur, the Israeli forces swept into the old city of Jerusalem. And as the paratroopers made their way through the narrow alleyways of the city, they saw all of the walls in the city and the, and the homes there melting away as they were drawn, inexorably almost, as if the hand of history was carrying them to the Western Wall and the Temple Mount. And as Matagor the general stood over top one of the roofs of the homes, and he saw the paratroopers going on the Temple Mount and raising the Israeli flag, which they then commanded to be removed immediately thereafter. Matagor the wasp called into his radio and cried, Harabayit Biadenu, the Temple Mount is in our hands. That recording, by the way, is available if you Google it. It is repeated iconically on Israeli radio, certainly starting tonight and tomorrow, and regularly because it is fused into the psyche of Israel 
as this moment where history and events all came together. And years later, after that event, the Holocaust survivor, Nobel Prize laureate and writer, Elie Wiesel, interviewed Motogur. And he wanted to know about that recording. And he asked Gore if he was religious. And Gore, the WAP, said, Are you crazy? He asked Elie Wiesel, Did you actually listen to that recording? Did I mention the name of God anywhere? Did I quote from the Torah, from Tanakh? Did I mention anything religious? And Elie Wiesel said no. But then Wiesel said to him as he leaned in, So Mata, he says, are you telling me that on that day that battle was like every other one in your life? That that one was it different? And Mata Gore looked at him and the Berdachevsky wasp began to melt away. And he said to Elie Wiesel, Elie, how could it be like everything else? It was Yerushalayim. It was Jerusalem. What kind of Israel do we have today? Well, if Berdachevsky, the wasps and the socialists won the first war, or the first battle, Ginsburg and the faithful Israel won the war. And why is that? Because it's true of Israel and it is true for us. How can you hold something sacred in your life? and not be changed by it. It's impossible. Yom Yerushalayim Sameach, a joyous and happy Yom Yerushalayim. And Netzach Yisrael lo yishaker. Shabbat Shalom.